Hold on to your hats. The countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join our side August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one but two days of Powerhouse Wellness featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well & You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and today I'm really excited to be joined by one of my absolute favorite wellness people, podcaster, author, uh, shop extraordinaire, your product extraordinaire, uh, Cindy O'Meara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. And, and I should have added to that, great friend, because Cindy yeah. is a great friend. We had so much fun when she came down to Adelaide recently and came and had dinner at my house and just a beautiful person. So the kids loved her. She's just a good all-round awesome girl. So, so glad to have you on, Cindy. Thank you, Brett. And I have to tell you, I'm still dreaming about that meal. It was amazing. So, um, and I just haven't had time to c- come home and repeat it because that's what I want to do is just the way you made that. Um, it was a silver cider and it was just stunning. So, yes, I'm going to try and repeat it. <laughs> oh, don't say that, Cindy, because now the pressure is going to be on. You know, people are going to come around to my house and expect me to be able to cook. <laughs> that's bad. That's trouble. So, Cindy, it's, it's so exciting to have you on the show. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about you know, your take around paleo and primal and, and what we should be eating and how we should be eating it because I think you've got a, a little bit of a different take on that to perhaps some of the other people we've had on the show, uh, and I think it's a really important one to talk about. But first of all, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to assume that almost everyone on our show knows you, Cindy, because you do have the, the obviously the Up For A Chat podcast. You've got your Changing Habits, you know, your Changing Habits, Changing Lives book has been around for decades now. Um, but there may be some people on our show who don't know who you are, Cindy. So maybe we could just get like the abridged version of your story, you know, how you got into this health and wellness stuff, Cindy. Well, the abridged version is that I come from a long line of, of people that um, have been organic farmers despite the chemical revolution, have been um, interested in vitalism, which is looking at the body as a whole rather than the small pieces of it. So that's, that's the family I came from. And I didn't come from a sickness background. I come from a very wellness background. So I didn't have a crisis, but I had a passion for food and it was because of food and skiing that put me on the path to anthropology and all the most wonderful things that um, have have actually got me to where I am right now, which is owning a business that's about education, about programs, protocols, ethical, organic, sustainable foods. It's about, you know, everything that um, that I, I've always loved doing. Yeah, and, 
And you do love it, and it's so obvious that you love it, and the passion that you have for it. You know, we've got the Wellness Summit coming up in a couple of weeks. In fact, it may have already gone by the time this episode goes to air, but it's always fun hearing you get up on the stage because you do just exude passion, and and it really comes across, which I love. So um, how did you end up, you know, where did you start? What was first? Was it your website? Was it your book? Was it your products? What, you, what did you start with, Cindy? Well, you know, I'm in the age of before the computer, so I started on a typewriter. <laughs> nice. I love that. <laughs> That's so paleo. Scary, is it? And I used to have to <laughs> – yeah, so paleo. Um, so I started on a typewriter and I faxed my articles into um, the local paper here. That's where it all started. And then by the time I started to write my book, I actually did have uh, a computer at that point, but a very basic computer. There was no website. So was, there was nothing. So I printed my book um, with a Brisbane printer and then uh, I – went about trying to market it through the channels of newspaper, magazine, radio and television. And and then by the year 2000, uh, it was the beginning of my website, so that came on board. But I guess it was about six years ago that I noticed there was this huge jump in the amount of people that were interested in what I was talking about. And what I was talking about is let's get back to real foods, um, stop eating these packaged foods, uh, be understand productivity of food. If you don't understand the productivity of food, then you don't care about your health. So all of a sudden there was this huge jump and um, my husband joined my business because I was getting too busy. We now employ 20 people. We have a huge warehouse. We've just moved. We've just basically filled uh, all the office space, all the warehouse. We're now looking for more. So it's just I guess it just started with my passion for and love of real food uh, back in the 1990s and even 1986 is when I started. And and now people are really interested in this. I used to be called the wacko, the, you know, the, <laughs> the one that didn't know what she was talking about, the one that suggested butter was better than margarine, that low fat was terrible um, and that we should be eating, you know, our beautiful fermented cheeses and well-prepared grains and I know that's not people don't think that's paleo but it actually was paleo um and and if you we want you can we can go through the cultures that ate this way um and still eat this way today without autoimmune diseases heart disease cancer diabetes without the modern day diseases that we have today they are still eating these traditional foods but in traditional ways well, we're definitely going to get to that in a little bit in this interview. But first of all, I want to go back to that Changing Habits book because really that book, you know, which was – when was that released first, Cindy? Do you know? 1998. 1998. So in 1998, Cindy, that book was so ahead of its time. And, and it's amazing how even today – I mean, that book is now – what is that? Almost 20 years old, Cindy. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> But yeah. it, it still holds so true. There is so much stuff in there. And, you know, much of that stuff you were talking about back then is now just considered self-evident, you know, that, that of course you want to look at, you know, taking some of the chemicals out of your foods and, you know, all sorts of stuff that you spoke about back then, which has just now been accepted. Some of the stuff you spoke about, even back then, 20 years ago, is still only just being accepted now or just being spoken about now. So, it's phenomenal how ahead of its time that book was and, and how it has stood the test of time, and you should really be congratulated on that. But I know as you've gone through your journey as well, Cindy, I think probably you know, you've changed a little bit in that time as well in terms of how you approach your food and how you approach what you eat. What have been the influences view on that? I know you're an avid podcast listener. 
Yes, definitely um, an avid podcast listener. But I think what happened was, you know, I was cruising along, eating real foods, making all my own breads, um, making porridges, um, you know, meats, vegetables, fruits, fermented cheeses. You know, I was, I felt that I was doing the right thing. And then I hit 50 and for about two years before I hit 50, I started to get aches and pains, sore back. And of course, you know, my husband's a chiropractor or my friend's a chiropractor. You know, you're a friend. I've been adjusted by you. I've been, my father was a chiropractor, my sister, my daughter. So it's not like I was structurally not doing well, yes. but I decided, well, what is happening? I was putting on weight. I'd never put on weight since I was 23 when I realized that dieting didn't work and I needed to just eat real foods. So um, I just just couldn't figure it out. And finally, I thought I'll do an elimination. You know, everyone was talking on the podcast, we're talking about elimination diets. So I did an elimination diet where I just ate hunter-gatherer food or paleo food, which was meat and greens and very, very few fruits. So the fruits were winter fruits, so like low glycemic. And in three to four days, I, I slept the first three or four days, just couldn't keep my eyes awake um, or open, and then started to feel this unbelievable energy. All aches and pains from the last 18 months disappeared. And then I started to scratch my head and go, well, what am I eating that's so bad? So then I started to introduce, and it was wheat. It was grain. Grain was cooked, brought it back immediately, my sore back, my aching hip. my I put on 700 grams of weight overnight, you know. So then I started to go, well, what's so bad about wheat? You know, I, I did anthropology. I knew when wheat was first eaten. What have we done to wheat? And that's the year that I think the year after that, came grain brain and wheat belly and everybody was talking about what we've done to wheat and it was Stephanie Seneff and Roundup and and so all of a sudden and then the microbiome became really big news even though we were talking about it a little bit it didn't you know the real research and surgeon research didn't really come about until um, probably five six years ago so all of a sudden my whole frame twisted in in that I had to find out what was wrong with the grain and the wheat and and even dairy what was why were so many people allergic to dairy and even nuts you know people were having problems with nuts and that that just that was podcast and then podcast came out and I started listening to amazing people like Dr. Jack Cruz, Dr. Perlmutter, Dr. Rodney Ford, Sarah Ballantyne, you know the paleo mom um, there were there were so many new books that were just coming out, and I just feel like we have had this rush of knowledge um, that has just come to everybody, and people are waking up at last. We're no longer willfully blind or having our blinkers on. We're actually waking up for a change, and it's exciting to see. I had to wake up too, you know, like all of us. So, Cindy, let's talk about some of those those different cultures because I think people often talk about paleo and they talk about the paleo diet. And really, I think what we should be talking about is perhaps a paleo diet because, uh, as you know, I remember hearing you talk and you talked about these different populations and how their paleo diets were actually so different in terms of not, not only what they ate but their macronutrient ratios and, and all those sort of things. And, and as you said, some of them even some fermented grains and different things like that. So... Can you talk a little bit about that diversity that actually existed within hunter-gatherer communities? 
Sure. So let's take the Inuits. So the Inuits live in Greenland at the moment, so they still live their traditional way. So we are. I'm looking at cultures that still exist today that we can sneak into our past but and see a vivid living history. So the Greenland Inuits, they eat uh, a diet that is basically blubber and um, organ meats. So they they often throw away the muscle and just eat the blubber and the organ meat. So their diet is very high in protein, uh, sorry, very high in fat with some protein in it. Then we look at the Papua New Guineans that live in a very tropical climate. Their diet is mainly tubers, so root vegetables and, um, uh, you know, a type of potato, but not a white potato. And their diet is very high in carbohydrates you know they might be cannibals or they were cannibals so they would have eaten meat on those times they eat insects so their diet is basically carbohydrate with some sort of um, small amount of protein then uh, we look at the Maasai the Maasai eat blood meat and milk that's that's their basic diet uh, there's a tribe in uh, Afghanistan and it's in the panhandle of Afghanistan. They live at 14,000 feet and their diet is mainly meat and milk. They ferment their milk um, into a hard substance so that when their uh, yaks or their goats are not milking, that they can then rehydrate these dairy foods that have been fermented and start to eat them. So you can see that the diets differ unbelievably and and then there's the uh himbas who i've just been to see they are the same as this uh, afghanistan group that are at fourteen thousand feet but they're at sea level in a very desolate climate but they leave on fermented meat and fermented dairy and they've figured out that the root of a certain tree and i can't remember the name of the tree now ferments their dairy and preserves their both their meat and their dairy but I think the most interesting tribe of all that has been studied is the the Hadzas in uh, Tanzania, uh, and their diet were, is meat and tubers. That's all they eat is meat and tubers. And what's interesting is that they've studied their microbiome, and they've found that their microbiome um, has a syphilis-type um, bacteria in there that actually helps them digest their tubers. But they have no bifidus. And the belief is that, is that it's not our genetic adaptation that is going to help us digest these grains and these dairies and these different foods that we adapt to and become robust to within the environment. But rather, it's the adaptation of our microbiome, which is that group of organisms within our gut that helps us digest food helps our immune system, gives us vitamins and minerals such as our B vitamins and vitamin K, um, helps get rid of pathological bacteria. And when it's not in dysbiosis, it is actually creates such unbelievable health to us and it helps us adapt to the foods within our environment and then with, you know, that we become um, robust with. I love that. I'm going to come back and talk about that microbiome in just a second because I think that's a really important point. But you mentioned before the fermented grains as well. So where were the tribes that were doing the fermented grains? Well, they're the, the ones up in Afghanistan. So they ferment um, their grains. Uh, well, actually, lots of tribes ferment grains. So the Hunzas um, ferment it. But this, this group up in Afghanistan, they actually have to 
travel five days through snow and rough conditions and they they um they do this a couple of times a year and they go down and they barter food for wheat and they bring the wheat up and they make a, a fermented um grain and they also create a flatbread with it they have no autoimmune diseases heart disease and cancer and diabetes um like we do and the other traditional group that we found out that used grains um, who prepared them properly was the Australian Aboriginal. So they used a grass seed called nardu, and nardu, uh, we now know, has a anti-nutrient in it which causes the or stops the absorption of B1 and the utilisation of B1. And so what they had to do is that they had to prepare it properly. So they would um, crush it, soak it, and then in the morning they would wash it, then they would cook it. So there was a preparation that went around them doing that. Uh, like I visited um, Sally Fallon, and Sally Fallon is the head of the Western Price or created the Western Price um, Foundation, and she said traditionally we would ferment our breads for three days to kill the anti-nutrients in our breads, and these days our breads are, are made in 40 minutes. You know, they pre-mix, throw the yeast in, rise it, throw it in the oven, and it doesn't get rid of the anti-nutrients. So there were many cultures that uh, did these fermentation processes with grains. They would soak their oats overnight. Um, they would slowly cook them. The legumes were soaked and cooked properly. So we have lost our culture and tradition, yeah. and therefore we've lost our ability to digest these foods, and therefore we've destroyed our microbiome, and therefore we can no longer spontaneously evolve to eat this crazy foods that are now on our supermarket shelves. Yeah, it's amazing how we've just sort of thrown out uh, decades and, and you know, thousands of years worth of culture and tradition and, and learnt knowledge that, that evolved over such a long period of time because we've sort of bowed down to this kind of evidence-based medicine approach and we've said, well, we haven't got any evidence yet to show that that's beneficial, so we're just going to chuck it out and, and yeah. do it our own way. It's quite amazing, isn't it? Well, you've got to look at culture and tradition as our survival. Yeah. And you're right, that's exactly what they've done and we are not surviving. And there are, are people that I've interviewed that um, are saying if we don't change, we will lose ourselves as a species. So. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Mm. So, Cindy, do we know how long those cultures have been doing that for in terms of the fermented grains and the fermented dairy? I mean, do we know how far back that goes? Well, I, you know, I've been reading um, some information on archaeological digs and, you know, there's information that it could be back as far as 100,000 years. Mm. So when we started to use the clay pots, when we started to create clay pots, was probably the time that we started to um, eat different foods. So instead of being uh, – the belief is that Homo habilis and Homo um, – Homo habilis went to Homo erectus, that then went to Homo sapien, which was about 400,000 years ago. And um, a gentleman uh, or a professor out of Harvard, his name is Rangerham, believes that um, we became human because we learned to cook. And that was, they say, around 1.5 million years ago. And it was because we got more nutrition out of our food as a result of cooking that we didn't need to eat from morning to, to the evening. And we started to form communities and use opposing thumbs and fingers. You know, that was the beginning of our increase in our brain size and a decrease in our digestive system and our teeth size. And as culture 
became more sophisticated, we created clay pots and that was probably the beginning of putting water in and maybe putting grains and soaking our grains and fermenting them. But to go back and put, you know, pinprick exactly or pinpoint exactly where uh, this happened, I don't think they can do that. They just know that um, they've seen the tools, they've seen um, the what was in the gut, um, how the teeth were uh, throughout the ages. And I think it's like a bit of a puzzle. But when people go back to culture and tradition and start eating the foods of their ancestry, they start to feel better. And some people can't eat grains. They have to go off grains for, for years before they can start to introduce them back into their diet again. And some people are like that with dairy. But once they heal the gut, improve the microbiome, they start to be able to tolerate more foods, they start to be able to eat more foods. But as as you know, Brett, most people want the one pill wonder. <laughs> yeah. And they're not prepared to put the hard yards in to be able to eat these foods again. And they continue to eat these foods um, thinking that eliminating them for a week was good enough. And they never get better. And they continue to have arthritis, osteoporosis, Porosis, um, autoimmune diseases, uh, you know, arteriosclerosis and um, heart, you know, and it's just people just aren't prepared to put that, that work in. Yeah, and I spoke about this just recently. I read an article on my website, I don't know if you saw it, and it was actually inspired by you, Cindy, talking about that Papua New Guinean tribe, and I called it 50 Shades of Paleo. And, and we spoke about this, just all these different groups, and I said that, you know, what we're talking about here, you know, you've said that perhaps it goes back as far as 100,000 years, and, and so, uh, but yet we've said that humans evolved, you know, 1.5 million years ago. And so if you look at that just from a, you know, from purely a genetic point of view, what you would say then is, well, maybe we haven't had enough time to evolve from that. But as you said before, what, what you then need to come into that is then uh, also start to consider that it's not just the pure genes that are there that make a difference. It is the microbiome, as you said. And also the epigenetics, you know, it's not necessarily just about what genes you have, but what genes you express. So, you know, I think this is kind of the next level for paleo to go to, isn't it? To understand that, you know, it's not just all about the genes, you know, that, that sort of primacy of the genes that we always spoke about. We now realize that that's not entirely true. And then we need to start considering that the microbiome and the epigenetic impact as well. Is, is that what you think you're sort of saying here, Cindy? Oh, definitely. And it's so funny, I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, and there were two microbiologists on it and one of them, and I wish I could remember his name, um, but you might like to put it in your notes, but this guy, he's an anthropological microbiologist. So wow. he looks at the evolution of the microbiome and I, like I listened to it yesterday and haven't had a chance to go onto his blog and, and learn more about him. But, you know, he got my heart straight away. Like, he's my new boyfriend, Brent. You know, like, I'll be listening to him, reading to all his st stuff. It's so funny, you know. I will be listening to a podcast and um, maybe doing a walk and my husband will go past me in the car and he said, would you like a, you know, a ride? And I'll go, no, listening to the new boyfriend. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, I think you've got a new crush every time I speak to you, Cindy. There's, there's someone new you're listening to. I, there is. We're all reading. Um, sometimes I have girl crushes. Sometimes it's boy crushes. But... <laughs> Look, there's so much information out there. And what was really interesting with this, this guy I was listening to, and that's why I want to read more about him, is he said this, you know, everybody 
thinks that it's a 90-10 with the microbiome. He thinks it's more 50-50 with the human genetics and the microbiome. So that, you know, pricked my ears up straight away because sometimes we get these memes and we believe them, such as cholesterol's bad for you and it causes heart disease or saturated fat causes heart disease. These were memes. These were never truths. And, and so we have to be really careful in the paleo world that we don't jump on a meme, but we do our research and we understand it exactly. So that's another thing I want to go and listen to him. You know, I'm all ready to say, hey, we maybe don't know this for sure. It could be 50-50, it could be 90-10, that we're genetically human and um, 90% microbiome. Yeah, it's amazing when you start to think about it. I mean, because there is more uh, non-human DNA within a human body than there is human DNA, isn't there? Definitely, you know. But we're, you know, we've we've got this ninety ten at the moment. But maybe it's it's eighty twenty. Maybe it's seventy thirty. So I love listening to these microbiologists. They're my new um, thing. You know, it used to be neurologists and neurosurgeons and chiropractors. That's you know who I was listening to, and now it's the microbiologists because. <laughs> We realize that it's them that will survive our extinction, but we won't survive their extinction. And so we've gone from a very antibiotic world to a very probiotic world. And I noticed some research just recently that these superbugs that can't be destroyed by antibiotics can actually be destroyed by probiotics, so destroyed hmm. by the bacteria in the gut. Um, that can neutralize them and, and destroy them. I just, I just love this. this. If we just leave the human body alone, you know, you and I have the same philosophy of vitalism, that the human body is an innate intelligence. Give it the right resources, take interference away from it, and it will be the healthiest it can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely, 100% agree. So, Cindy, what I always come back to, though, is when you start talking about the, the microbiome and the epigenetics, and I guess the way I looked at this and what I said in my article is I said, well, look, I think that you know what we know is that genetically we're adapted to eat a paleo diet, not necessarily mm. the paleo diet, but a paleo diet. And it may be that because of our microbiome, changes in our microbiome or changes in our epigenetics, that we are then able to eat more stuff. You know, we may be because of that able to eat, you know, some people may be okay with dairy, some people may be okay with grains, you know, you may be able to take on more stuff. But but what I said in my article, and I have a feeling you might disagree with this, and that's why I'm asking, what I said in my article was that I think that given that we don't really know, like the science isn't really there yet to say you've got the right microbiome or you've got the right epigenetics that you can be okay with these foods, that my take on it is I just think, well, I'd rather just take them out. And then I know I'm giving my body what it needs, what it's evolved to deal with, what it you know traditionally required and thrived on, and, and not worry about putting the other stuff in. Um, because I may be okay with it, but I might not. And the only, I guess the other thing I would say is it's hard to tell whether you are or not. You, know, you might feel okay on it, but sometimes you feel okay and you're not functioning so well. I agree with you entirely. And you, and you know where I agree with you entirely is that um, I was um, listening to Dr. Rodney Ford, who's a gastroenterologist, a pediatric gastroenterologist, and listening to Perlmutter. And they said the first signs that something might be wrong is not necessarily in the gut, but probably the nervous system. And, yeah. and that takes a long time to degrade. So while you're eating a food and your gut seems to be okay and you think you're doing all right, what might be happening underneath is that you might be destroying the nervous system, the brain and spinal cord and, you know, all the way to your fingers. So, 
you know, they're saying, are you willing to take that chance? Yeah. And, and we know with, you know, diseases like Alzheimer's, you know, there can be a lot of degeneration go on before you notice anything. Uh, yeah, and and that's right. And then all of a sudden you stop losing names for things and you forget where you are and you, you lost yourself somewhere and, and you think it's old age, but it's actually degeneration of the nervous system. So, you know, these people that I've been listening to are basically saying, are you prepared to take the chance? And I, I, don't, I, think, I think in the end it's about respect for your body because if you have absolute respect for your human body and who you are as a human being, you don't want to destroy it. You actually want to keep it healthy. And I know, and I, I agree with you here, I know when I'm off dairy and off grain that my brain um, it functions so much better. I have so much more energy. On occasion, I will eat it. Um, so I'll eat. So this morning, I'm, I'm, it was cold up here, so I made a quinoa. But I, I actually notice because when you're high functioning and you eat something like that, you actually notice it straight away. When you're low functioning and you eat something like that, you don't notice it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I you know I have an agreement with you on that one, and um, I think that people have to become high functioning in order to really find the subtle differences that they have with different types of food. And the elimination of those foods give you that high functioning and then alerts the body and the brain to what's not good for you. Nice. Well, Cindy, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but there's, there's a trip you went on recently that I couldn't not ask you about on this show because it was pretty paleo sort of trip. So can you tell us a little bit about your trip to Africa? I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what did, what did you discover? What, was, what were the things that really stood out for you from that amazing journey you went on? Well, I went to Namibia, and they say uh, Namibia, which is on the Skeleton Coast and in the west, um, southwest of Africa. And they say Namibia is where Homo erectus and Homo habilis all began. They say that every human on the planet has a relationship with this part of Africa. And it was an amazing country. Uh, um, it just, like, it blew my mind away just being in this country. I actually felt very much at home, even though, uh, like, there were mountains and there were gorges, um, and, but it was very vast and very dry, and sometimes you felt you were on a moonscape and other times you felt you were um, in the mountains of Europe. But what I did do is I drove um, many days through um, a land called Cocaland, which is in the northwest of uh, Namibia, and there are tribes there called the Himbas who still live their traditional ways. And it was watching their culture and traditions, and what they used from the land, and how they, how their health and their teeth and their bodies. Like I met a seventy-year-old lady that, oh my gosh, she she just was fit and and limber and. Oh my gosh, she was amazing to watch and she was carrying a load of sticks on her head and, and it was just being there with them and understanding their culture and looking at and how they, they lived. So there was that group of the coca land that I saw and then I got into a more civilised part mm. of the Himba and they were eating um, refined oils, corn, uh, they still ate some fermented dairy, but not a lot. They were still living their traditional ways. But what I noticed was the difference in the children and their health. And the children that I found in the Cocaland region, it, they didn't have a sniffly noses. They, everything seemed very healthy about them, whereas the kids that were in the 
the Himbas that were a bit more civilized or in a more civilized area, I should say, who were had availability to these Western foods. Um, they had sniffly noses. I didn't think they were as healthy. But my belief is that this is just the first generation that is probably seeing um, these modern foods. So I didn't see obesity. I didn't see bad teeth. It was just those green noses <laughs> that I noticed. <laughs> and there was a nurse there. So obviously there were some health issues. And one of the head women had just gone to hospital for something. Whereas in the Cocaland region, no, this, this was not happening. So it was interesting, very interesting. Yeah, and so obviously I guess the introduction of Western medicine into that area as well maybe maybe a difference too. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't going to mention that one, but I think that, um, I, you know, that they were depending on Western medicine, whereas in the Cocaland region they don't. They depend on their traditional ways. And when you see, I, I, I did a whole thing on the plants and you could see the plants that they use for different problems that they have with their body, such as gut problems or um, if they had a, um, they even had um, aphrodisiac plants. It was, it was just so fascinating to see the plants that they use. They all look the same to me. But, and and um, did it work? Um, oh, I, I, I'm sure it does work. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't try that one. <laughs> what, what I did love, though, what I did love is that the women never bathe. And they use a, 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 a goat fat from the milk and like a butter fat and they used um, the okra. Plus they used the resin of a plant that created myrrh and they would put that on their body. They spent three hours a day helping each other get ready and they would put this on their body. Their skin was stunning. They didn't smell. They don't bathe because there's no water there but... They had no smell to them, and I was very close up to them. Um, they just um, had used the plants and the landscape and everything in order to survive, and they were still surviving um, and very well without um, the ill health that we have today and um, and the modern medicine we have today. And yeah, it was it was very interesting. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that story, Cindy, because I know that uh, listeners are going to love that, and they've loved this interview today. I've loved this interview today. I actually think this has probably been my favourite That Paleo Show podcast to date. I absolutely loved it. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your immense wisdom with us, Cindy. Thank now, you, Brett. if people want to find out more about you, where's the best spot for them to go? Is it changinghabits.com.au? Yep. That's that's the best place to go, and, and they'll see that we have a, a store of food, um, it's all single ingredients. Um, what we do is that we want to replace um, the foods that aren't ethical, aren't sustainable and aren't organic into your pantry. So we have that. We have an education program and we have programs and protocols. We have nutritionists. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I just I look at it now and I go, what did I do? Yeah. How, did, how did I do this? <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing. It is phenomenal, Cindy. You, you've done such an amazing job and you're making such a huge difference. And, and I've got to say, I've been eating some of your products, Cindy. Those dates are pretty damn good. And uh, I've been using the cacao wafers and the dates because it's freezing in Adelaide right now. And I've been making myself a hot chocolate and I've been mm. loving it. And and, I, and the dates have been great. They're, they're actually not massively sweet dates, which is nice. But I haven't had to add any other sweetener either. They, they just make a beautiful hot chocolate. So yeah, little plug for you there, Cindy. I'm enjoying those, thank I can you. tell you. Thank um, you. <laughs> so thank you so much, Cindy. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. 
Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their business, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.